My name's Buck, and I like to make Tarantino Patreon podcasts. This is spoilers. This is spoilers. That was a cheap one. This is actually Josh from Goshen. Not really Buck. Not really Buck. <laughs> this is a very special episode. It's a Patreon episode. And that means someone subscribed to our Patreon, requested Kill Bill, and now we're doing that movie just for them. Um, and they paid us. Somebody bought us, used us like a dirty rag. Don't make it weird. Don't make it weird, guys. <laughs> we'll just call this guy B. Is that fair? Or sh- uh, uh, how about Brandon? Oh, now I guess they know well, everything. You've, <laughs> just just wow. say it, Josh. <laughs> Bleep out half of that. Just okay. Say yeah, it. this will be great. He's a B name, and we'll bleep it out just like they do in this movie with our main character. Classic. He wrote to us, "Hey now, fellas. Hope you're doing well. I've been a fan for about two years now. I really enjoy the pod. You guys are the Wu Tang <laughs> Clan of podcasts. I don't know how you're not constantly talking over each other, but it works. So don't change it." Anyway, I picked Kill Bill Volume 1. Thanks for your helping fill the endless hours at work with funny stuff, especially LOTR. Apologies to me, Josh, for stealing a future pick. And I'll just stop you right there, Brandon. This is gifting me. Like, I have to win trivia to get a pick. So this is a pure gift. I was definitely going to pick this in the future. So thank you. Everyone, I want to hear your top two and bottom one Tarantino films. And then I want to hear what Wu-Tang Clan member you are. Pappy, I want to start with you. But like mm-hmm. calling us the Wu-Tang Clan of podcasts, like that's mm, one of the nicest things ever. I mean, it's a perfect analogy. I, I have often considered us the wu-tang clan of podcasts i mean there's so many cast members right it kind of makes sense um was it you that reached out to him and asked him who all the members were <laughs> like who he thought everyone was he volunteered that so he said hey if it's not too late what member of the wu-tang clan do you think you are if that's not too problematic a question for me it's easy pappy and stevie are rizza and jizza thick thick as thieves and work well together <laughs> Brett is Raekwon. Not for everybody, but definitely indelible. Let's go. Mikey is Method Man. Josh is Ghostface. Corey is Inspector Derek. (laughs) Jordan is Master Killer. And obviously, this was the ODB talking over everybody and annoying me. (laughs) Nope. So spot on. Absolutely perfect comparisons. Um, I thought everyone was happy with that. Brett, were you? You were very happy about being called Raekwon, though, right? I don't I don't have a problem with being called Raekwon. Raekwon's awesome. It's just everything after that I have a problem with, but whatever. <laughs> indelible. Indelible isn't bad. No, indelible is not a compliment. Look it up. It means you can't be erased, bro. <laughs> yeah, like a freaking stain. <laughs> <laughs> like a tattoo yeah, this... of a heart with Brett in the middle of it on the spoiler's body. But Brandon wrote in later and said he loved Brett specifically. So yeah. He did. Yeah, well, I hadn't seen that. Love Brett, by the way. <laughs> we didn't want it to go to your head. Brett gets the most yeah. fan mail out of any spoilers host. That's 100% true. But um, so I, I, I think that's spot on. I'm definitely 
RZA. Uh, I took even a BuzzFeed quiz, and it said I'm RZA uh, after I took the quiz, so 100% <laughs> right. Um, top two and bottom one Tarantino movies? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I love Jackie Brown. I could watch Jackie Brown like every single day of the week. It's not his best, uh, but it's like one of my most watchable. And then I'll go in Glorious Bastards. I'll save any details on that because I'm sure other people will want to talk about it. And then bottom one, I haven't seen Death Proof. Uh, and I don't I don't know why I just have never I haven't any desire to because everyone says it's so bad I guess Kill Bill Volume 2 but I think Death Proof might be a spoiler future spoilers pick Josh it might be Kurt Russell's uh, crowning film <laughs> well thanks for that uh, let's move over to Simi Valley since I know he doesn't want to say it Kylo Corey Will you answer those questions for us? Yes, this is Corey recording out of Simi Valley. I'm okay with saying that, Josh. It's totally fine with me, man. <laughs> Just want to say, you know, appreciate the listener, Brandon. Fuck. Appreciate the listener, B for this. And, uh, <laughs> being referred to as uh, Inspector Deck. Is that who I was? I have no idea who these people are. Um, <laughs> that's cool, though. Inspector Gadget. Least favorite Tarantino movie. No. Inspector Deck is a huge co- is a huge compliment. Oh, okay, that's cool. I'll take it. He's got the helicopter comes out his head, right? I love that. I Death Proof is my least favorite. I'd say it's not that it's bad. I don't really dislike any Tarantino movies, but that one's probably my least favorite. Uh, it just feels different than the rest. Um, top two though, I've talked about this before. Django number one. Number two tends to vary, but right now I'm feeling uh, the Hateful Eight extended version specifically vastly superior to the theatrical one I saw. But yeah, that's it for me. Cool. This is your host, Josh, again from Goshen. I'm going to put my top two with Inglorious Bastards and Pulp Fiction. They've just been, I just love those two movies. And I'm going to maybe cheat a little bit and put Four Rooms as my least favorite. I've seen that movie. His original? Don't even know. One of them is. And, yeah. And I, he did like 20 minutes of that, right? Something? Yeah. He did one of the rooms. He did one of the rooms. I didn't really like that movie. Made me feel weird and was kind of boring. Anyway, I will stick with Ghostface. Uh, that was one of the names of my worms when I played Worms on Dreamcast a long time ago. He also has three kids, just like me. So it works out. Um, Brett, how about you go? Or did you already kind of go? No, you didn't go. No, I didn't go. We just know that you're Raekwon already. You can't change that. <laughs> Indelible Brett. You don't know. You don't know anything about it. <laughs> we know uh, it's not nothing to fuck with. But. <laughs> I'm like the biggest Wu Tang fan here, and I know more about him than anybody. But I gotta be the guy. Whatever. Uh, this is Brett recording out of Fort Wayne. Flick it up all day. Immobility. I know my work. Uh, my f- two favorites I haven't seen all of them so uh, bear with me on that my two favorites are Kill Bill 1 and 2 um, I have not seen what some people would consider his best one for at least here's the thing I've only seen probably the last 40 minutes of Death Proof and I freaking hated it I think Reservoir Dogs is the most overrated movie one of the most overrated movies of all time. It's good. It's just overrated. So I'll say, uh, like, I don't know. They're all pretty good. What's wrong with Tim Roth lying on the ground crying for 45 minutes? I got fucking shot! <laughs> Dying, man! I just think when you... I think Pulp Fiction's a lot better. I'll say Death Proof. Whatever. 
And I don't know, uh, I guess Raekwon, but for different reasons. And I don't know, I think I'm more like Ghostface. I sound kind of like him, and I don't know, I kill it on the track. So Riz has always been my favorite, though, but whatever. Mikey, why don't you go next? Uh, this is Mikey from Goshen, and I'd say my top two favorite, probably Django and maybe Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, I like all of his movies. They're all good. Where are you sitting with the Wu-Tangs? Uh, I don't know Wu-Tang well enough to to approve or disapprove of his comment. I, I'm neutral on it, I guess. I'm certainly not Brett. I'm not upset about the <laughs> rapper that he chose for me it was such a nice compliment i'm not certainly not upset about it brett i said i'm not i'm not upset about the rapper he <laughs> you chose for upset. me but it could you be saw, worse he's clearly not upset you could be yeah. odb no i mean raekwon raekwon <laughs> is significantly better than jizza so i mean i don't have anything to be upset about who did he say you were me he said i was method man oh, that's a good one I recognize the name. I just don't listen to that. Sorry. Mr. Meth. Mikey, before I go over to Stevie, I just wonder, like, these Patreons have been, these Patreon episodes have been, like, pleasantly surprising, right? With the taste in everyone's music. Or <laughs> with the taste in everyone's movies and the movies they're picking. Both. But I was, like, mowing the lawn and I just started cracking up because I remembered how much you hated Collateral. Was that Collateral, the Tom Cruise movie? Or was that? Brad Pitt. Oh, that's that's not collateral. That's uh, that's not collateral. That's not collateral, that's dude. I was so confused. Professor, no, the, <laughs> the collector, the counselor, <laughs> the counselor. That's yeah. the counselor. Someone picked the counselor. Yeah. Hey, if you pay for a movie for us to review and it's bad, I mean, you get what you pay for, man. <laughs> I didn't remember the counselor. Holy shit. <laughs> The counselor. Anyway, our personal counselor of this podcast, Stevie, will you answer those two questions? What member of Wu-Tang are you and rank your Tarantinos? Well, if perhaps Rizza, I'm obviously Jizza. And I think that was a great thing he said that we were thick as thieves. Very cool. And work well together. Work well together. Eye rolls. The only difference is, is I believe Rizza is a vegetarian no jizza is a vegetarian if i remember correctly i am the furthest thing from that and the good thing is mikey if you're a method man i believe he's on jizza's track uh, shadow boxing which is my favorite track of his but favorite top two qt movies i actually might even pull a brett here and pull three what bastards is one once upon a time in hollywood is like one b like, if you want to know my spirit animal, like, Leo DiCaprio going out in a bathrobe with a pitcher full of margaritas screaming, Goddamn hippies, <laughs> is my spirit animal to a T. And then 1C is probably Django. I think Django is one of the coolest movie characters of all time. Those three. And my least favorite, uh, Death Proof. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, I cannot believe I forgot about once upon a time in Hollywood, that's like the best last 30 minutes of a movie ever. Like it, I had like a grin on my face so much. Cause you know, you expect it to be so terrible. You you're so sad the whole time. And then it's amazing. And then if we counting movies that he wrote, I think from dust till dawn is absolute trash. So that's my least favorite. <laughs> Do you like true romance? Yeah, that's good. Oh, close call movies that he wrote. He wrote the rock. He did rewrites on It's Pat. Does that it's count? It's Pat, yeah. Pat. So let's go. 
anyway, let's get let's talk about Kill Bill. And Stevie, I wanted to start with you here. He's a very cinephilic director, right? He's very referency. He has seen more movies than all of us combined. We will like in our entire lives. It, it just it is the way. Do you it feel is. that? Do you think this is like top tier reference movie for him? First off, like with the intro and the credits alone, it feels like a very groovy movie. It almost feels like it's almost like a late night drive-in movie uh, to start with. I just see that's just the credits alone, and then starting with you know Uma Thurman on her back and having Bill talk off screen. I think it's incredibly cool because you're just kind of like you know it's a ton of questions. What the hell is going on throughout this entire movie? Classic QT. He just jumps through time seamlessly. So, but to answer your question though, Josh. If he is referencing movies, it's beyond me, or I just can't think of them. But I'm sure he has a giant smile saying, oh, this is what happened in this 1950s Danish movie uh, that no one's ever heard of, but I've seen. And this is what they did with this. So, yeah. You say he went through time seamlessly. I might poke a little hole in that a little later. But let's mm-hmm. dwell on this like first scene. Pappy, the use of this just solitary, unmoving, static camera is pretty great, isn't it? Yeah, and even everything that Bill's saying, he's talking about how he's not, uh, what's the word that he uses? Sadistic, I think. Uh, while she's yep. laying there bleeding on the floor, pregnant uh, <laughs> in her wedding dress. I mean, it's it's chilling, really. And it makes you, you know, instantly loathe this Bill character, the way his like name is on the, the handkerchief that he wipes her face with and everything. Like, he is implanting the name Bill early and often in this movie. It's just... I mean, it's really good and it's chilling. And I also don't want to skip over the like the sort of miniature title cards too at the beginning. The uh, yeah. old Klingon proverb that revenge is a dish best served cold. <laughs> very QT to reference Star Trek. And I like, thought Corey was going to be the one to bring that up, but yeah, it was my one note. <laughs> <laughs> and the Shaw Brothers uh, logo thing. I think we saw that on another Josh host. The Chambers of Shaolin, the 36 Chambers of Shaolin. It's been a while, though. Yeah. We've seen that logo. This is like a kung fu movie, though, isn't it? It's like an anime. It's got it a lot anime. of... It's got so many types of, like, media in it, too. Brett, you mentioned once that you haven't gotten through Inglorious Bastards because of how tense the opening is. Do you feel that here, too? It's not as long, but I, I feel the intensity. <laughs> I'd like to believe you're aware enough, even now, to know that there's nothing sadistic in my actions. Well, maybe towards those other jokers. But not you. No, kiddo. At this moment, this is me and my most masochistic. Bill? It's your baby. Yeah, this whole movie's pretty tense. Like the first time watching it, first and second movie, you're both just really 
he's really good at writing tense scenes, so I'll give him that for sure. I think there's something strategic about having a really tense scene to start things off. Stevie, do you, do you agree with that? Like, does that just put you in a kind of mood to receive the movie differently or something? With great tension to start a movie? Yeah. I mean, I feel like he does that in nearly all of his movies, but I think it is a cool way to jump right into a world you're not familiar with. I think having, like, this great tension build, especially of, like, we, I mean, obviously we know Uma Thurman is our hero throughout, and to have her, like, nearly dead and someone else in full control... Yeah, I think it's a really cool way to start a movie versus like 10 minutes of this is this person's life and whoa, curveball, something happens. I think, you know, something like this is a pretty cool way to start. And you, you I mean, you keep referencing how like tense it, it was and it is tense, but it's very still, right? It's very static. Like mm-hmm. you mentioned, the camera doesn't move. Not a lot happens. There's, it's just a one shot on her. And then that like, is totally it's in black and white and that's totally completely contrasted by the next fight scene which is super cuts many many shots <laughs> fast colorful loud like the, the complete opposite and then these two scenes right next to each other yeah there's even like a jump scare when he actually pulls the trigger like i jump even though it's coming to this day and i guess just a really quick vocabulary nugget here at the beginning is Bill tells Uma Thurman's character that he's not sadistic, he's masochistic, and I guess that means he's not getting pleasure from hurting her, he's getting pleasure from hurting himself in this instance. It's just really weird and somehow adds to the tension. I mean, I think in addition to like the tension of that that bit with Uma Thurman right there, it like raises questions, right? Which is another way to get you invested. Like, what happened? Is this going to be like the end of the movie? Like, wh- why is she like this? It it gets your mind going, and you know you're trying to fill in those gaps as you watch it. I know I mentioned it before, but the static camera just makes me feel like so helpless watching it, and that's like exactly what her feeling would be in that moment. But Mikey. Haven't heard much from you yet in this pod, but do you like Uma Thurman's performance throughout this? Well, I guess we don't even know what her name is because he gets bleeped out every time it's mentioned, which I did not remember. Uh, so I stopped and like looked up online to see if like if that was something within HBO Max uh, that they were bleeping her name or or what? Because I did not remember that at all. But uh, it was in editor choice or uh, Tarantino choice for some reason. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine anybody else other than Uma Thurman in the role. I think she's great. And I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you guys see anybody else who's capable of doing that? No, I mean, no. Michael Madsen was considered, but decided against it. As the bride? <laughs> As the bride. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, okay. To back up a little bit, the, the beeping thing, I was kind of the same way. I don't watch this movie very often and they it, they reveal the name in the second movie, right? Beatrix. Spoiler yeah, alert. Yeah. I hope you. I hope you bleep that out. Whoever's that'd be funny. But isn't it on the ticket in this movie? Like, can't you see? It's on it? both. Yeah. It's on both tickets. Yeah. So why bother bleeping it? Like, I guess it like makes the character seem more badass, and maybe like you know, to Stevie's point, it's a specific allusion to some VHS tape that Quentin Tarantino watched in the early nineties. <laughs> but I mean, like. Like, yeah. but why? You know what I mean? Like, especially if you're going to have it on the ticket later. It just seemed like a super, 
samurai movie reference or something like she hasn't earned her name or something yet like i looked it up on google and i was like oh she hasn't been named yet it's like well people are trying to say her name they're just bleeping it out i I didn't (laughs) understand what they were doing she has a few names right we know her as the black mamba yeah at at this point in the movie i think right Mm -hmm. and then they had some fake name or whatever at the crime scene later on in the movie for her it was a fake name or something this is reminding me like Vivacia A. Fox saying, man, I should have been the Black Mamba. <laughs> did, is, did you just say Vivacia? Vivica? Ver, Vivica? Vernita Green. Vernita Green. Man, the bit about me mispronouncing things. Stale. <laughs> it's not a Vernita, bit. You do it. Bit. You just do it. Which, Vivacia. So I've never heard that in my life. So we'll edit, make an edit point, we and move on so it can be a professional you say podcast. Right. on the okay. podcast. Vernita can Green, I, uh, the character Vernita Green stares at her and is like, I should have been Black Mamba. And that's just like Brett. He wanted to be Riza, I think, so bad. Is it because she's the bigger Kobe fan? <laughs> it must be. It's not that I want to be Riza. I don't really care. It's uh, It doesn't matter. Uh. Josh, would you say that this... I mean, this movie's supposed to be like a seventies, like kung fu, black exploitation, just a bunch of different style. Everything's in excess. Do you, would you say that Uma Thurman is overacting on purpose? I always felt like she's definitely overacting, being kind of comical, but I feel like it fits. Yeah, sometimes she hits this. She hits this like low tone in her voice sometimes. And she has like some, there's some like lines in this that if you really like break it down, it's pretty like maybe neck beardy or like maybe wouldn't work in other, in another director's movie yeah. or something. But, it's not always. I mean, she like. I will, I want to name, while we're talking about her and her performance, I want to name one scene specifically. When she believes that she's lost her child, maybe she's overacting there, but it hits like perfectly um it's a pretty haunting scene no i don't i don't mean stuff like that at all like i thought that was really good i'm just like uh, she's got a tone in her voice when she talks sometimes yes where it's very it's almost like theater acting but again i think i I don't think quentin tarantino does a lot of things by accident so um. well well, you guys caught that q and U yeah created the bride character right so yep who is that, Stevie? Stevie, easiest Stevie question ever. <laughs> uh, that was Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman. But why mention that? Um, you say you think she's a collaboration. Over... <laughs> so you think like she's overacting at times? I mean, is there an arrogance in her performance, or is it just the way that? She's delivering lines. What, when did this become a thing? What, is this like everybody's callback? Ever, we're bringing stuff out or what? We're Can becoming you... a real stereotypical podcast. We're just pigeonholing each other. We're getting super <laughs> meta now. I mean, we're making fun of Josh, but you literally said Buschimi once, so. <laughs> Let's mean... go. Call back to that. I'll say it again. I wouldn't use the word overacting. I think that she's just being like the prime example of like this like genre legendary hero right i mean like she takes herself seriously when she's in in these moments like it, it fits with the tone of the movie i feel like overacting i would say is like when someone's moving with outside the bounds of the film right she, she's perfectly in the tone okay how would over exaggerating uh, I, I mean i think it's like references to just old samurai movies like hero's journey type stuff it's 
I know just what you're saying, did, Brett. It's but like, did my mic cut out when I said all that? That it it fits in with what was going on. I, I mean, I, I, I agree. But, I'm yeah. saying that. I'm not saying it. She's poorly acting. I'm just saying I think it's it's excess, like everything else. The blood is excess. The violence, the way she talks, is this, is like that as well. Quentin Tarantino pretending that this is like some collaboration of writing, like mate. She wrote was. the intro. Yeah, it was the, on the set of Pulp Fiction. They like went yeah. back and forth and wrote the whole intro and the character's name and everything. Let me pause it though. When is there a director and lead that aren't collaborating on a lead character's lines? What's and... your point? What are you? What's your point here, Josh? What are you driving? At? I'm driving at. There's a lot of Uma Thurman feet in this movie. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman have something weird going on. He almost killed her one time. Like I'm trying to understand this relationship. That was on the second movie. Stay in one. <laughs> Big. Is this the one yeah. where he spit in her face, though? You see, he, like, choked her out once. There's weird oh, stuff yeah, happening here, Pappy. Like, what, don't ignore that. What's the is spit this in the face wanted? story? Are we talking about the movie, or is, did you want to talk about the DVD extras? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Her feet. We're not at that point yet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to the feet. We can move on. Sheesh. Pappy, why don't you run us through this? Uh, it's actually chapter two. It's actually, no, it's uh, Kill list person number two but i guess it's chapter number one of the movie vernita green in her suburban home why don't you play us through the scene a little bit yeah uh i I actually love the the chapter one just being called number two with the circle because it kind of makes you go huh for for a second and you're kind of like trying to figure out what's happening there but uh opens in pasadena california suburbia i mean kyle i don't know a lot about pasadena is it common to have knife fights uh in homes in pasadena (laughs) Not in the part of Pasadena they're in, but there is a definite gang activity in the area <laughs> okay. of some of Pasadena. This is more related to elite assassin cults rather than gang activity, I guess. But it's, Yeah, I guess you're right. Huh? It's the first, uh, or I guess the second name on our list, the first one that we see. I mean, it starts right when um, Vivacia, is that how we say her name on this podcast? Vivica? <laughs> uh, Vivacia Fox opens the door and it's fucking go time. I mean... Kicks are flying. Like I said, very dynamic camera. It's it's all over the place with the way it's cut. It's it, it moves great throughout the living room too. It's like they break every single piece of glass furniture you can imagine in the living room. Like with each shot, I I love this first fight scene. It's a great way to start the movie. Stevie, too many cuts for you, or or uh, good? Yeah. No, um, I don't think there's too many cuts, especially for what they were doing. Uh, I think with that much breaking. And with that much violence of having to stop and like reapply makeup and understand like where they're at, I think cutting actually made sense for what they were doing. Yeah, I think it wrote a pretty fine line. I mean, I think it's really hard to do a long take and just CGI makeup and blood without making it look weird. So I think having that many cuts and reapplying injury, reapplying makeup, going again, seeing where they're at, blocking right, I think it makes sense. Agree. Okay, so this is like the shot of like. Uh adrenaline or whatever right we just sat in a black and white like still scene for three four minutes like this it jumps to this right away this is like getting you right into the action of the movie (laughs) yeah because as soon as she opens the door she gets clocked in the face (laughs) well even before that we see a huge yellow truck with pink words say pussy wagon um almost in the same branding (laughs) as badass motherfucker like that wallet is probably in the dashboard i would guess it's like the same idea, right? And then behind the yellow pussy wagon, the yellow like school bus pulls up and like a fucking awesome shot where they're like knives out to each other. 
Which I don't know. Would you stop fighting Vivacia A. Fox, Josh, if her kid showed up? Uh, if I thought it was the rational deci- decision, as the bride would say. It's being more rational than Bill led me to believe you were capable of. It's mercy, compassion, and forgiveness I lack. Not rationality. I don't know. Uh, what happens once they... Corey, walk us through the second part of the scene as it kind of finishes out here. Who wins the, this battle? <laughs> Well, obviously they stop because the kid gets there, which you guys just talked about. It's a moment that I really, really like of of the movie, right? So like in terms of the movie starting, there's some little stuff at the beginning, but for my mind and my memory, it kind of starts when uh, these two are fighting, right? She opens the door, they start fighting. It's fucking amazing. You're totally into it because of how good it is. And like, it's, it's very chaotic and there's just glass flying everywhere. But then it's like a timeout, like the kids coming up and Vivica Fox, that that's her name, right? We're going with that. Vivica A. Vivica yeah. A. Okay. Vivica A. Vivacious. She sees the kid and she you guys are making that really hard to edit out, for goodness <laughs> sakes. <laughs> Quit mentioning. I'm making sure that it's not. She looks at the bride and like asks her to stop, but not with words, you know? And I think that's really good too. But I really like the tension of them like, okay, we can't fight right now, but we still like are talking a lot of shit to each other. So they kind of have this idea in the kitchen. Okay, we'll finish this later on tonight. Um, but the Copperhead, which is her assassin name, Vivica Fox, Renita Green, she kind of goes back on that and tries to shoot her through a box kaboom. of Cheerios or something. It's called Kaboom. It's called <laughs> Kaboom. Foreshadowing. That's cute. That's so funny. <laughs> so you... Can just kiss my motherfucking ass, Black Mamba. Black Mamba. I should have been motherfucking Black Mamba. Weapon of choice? Hey, if you want to stick with your butcher knife, that's fine with me. Very funny, bitch. Very funny, bitch. Now, Brett. You're the gun expert here. You talk about guns a lot. I guess. Would the gun bullet shoot straight if gone through a cereal box? Because I'm guessing that's the only reason she missed, right? Like, because it's going through a cereal box. Uh, no, she just missed. It would. It, it would not affect the. Tra- I mean, it's not a very uh, big bullets. I bought. I think or what I saw was just a 380. But that would. It doesn't have a problem going through cardboard paper it she shanked hard right well i mean but what about all the cereal itself what about cereal she just shanked it what about the toy at the bottom of the box yeah Ooh. Ooh. the sticker mm. i like that idea in fiction possible because otherwise like why did she just shoot one shot she should have just emptied that clip yeah she's gonna go that route so i feel like she, she could have must- just taken the gun out and shot her before the knife came out i'm guessing i mean they had kind of a unspoken Truce is kind of bullcrap that she did that, but they are assassins, so. Well, she would have pulled it out. She would have got that cup of coffee kicked at her that much sooner, I think. Mm. She had to keep it hidden. I kind of wanted to see the knife fight in 2 a.m. Yeah. and the baseball field wearing all black. That would have been really cool. I like how Tarantino just like has them describe something completely unfilmable, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Complete darkness. I really like the scene in suburbia and it ends with a pretty cool moment where mm-hmm. like the first 
death. I guess this is the first real death we see. Do you guys think Uma is like cold in this? Like getting into kind of the theme, the revenge theme here. Like she tells the daughter, like you might want to come for revenge someday. And like, I don't know. She didn't want to kill her in front of the daughter, but then she did. And she didn't seem to care too much. It's not like she adopted her or anything. Like where do you guys stand on Uma's morality? And I, and as a caveat, I don't want to get too much into Kill Bill 2 here in this podcast but i think is her revenge plot for revenge like moral i guess the bride's quest for revenge or what she says to the kid no 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 no. look forget about the kid for a second just like the bride why why did bill murker oh that's all part two stuff but (laughs) i know i just had this huge caveat where it's like i don't want to talk too much on this pod about two except for this i feel like you do want to talk about part two but i do just this part. Why did <laughs> Bill have her killed, Corey? If I remember correctly, it's because she uh, quit being an assassin. He said he overreacted. And she said, overreacted? Yeah, I mean, this was being petty. Well, it's a big no-no. She ran away. She, he, she got pregnant from Bill, ran away, married some other dude, and was like, all right, I'm not about that life anymore. Uh, she got tracked down and got got for it. I was going to say this earlier. I mean, we can call her a hero all we all we, we want, but I mean, none of these people are heroes. They're all bad, bad people. So, like, that's the game you play. That's anti-hero. That's the life you choose. I mean, I don't know. You live by a sword, you die by a sword. I thought her talk with the little girl was as nice as could be, but at the same time, she gets the need for revenge, and I think she's basically giving this girl air quotes permission to if you if you want to bring it to me i'll be waiting for you so i think it's just really good storytelling because it like deepens the world and you know that there's this curl oh, yeah. out there in the back of your mind I, yeah i always thought this was supposed to set up a sequel yeah not maybe not two but maybe like w- weren't they talking about I thought they were. this is a trilogy i thought they were always set up for that girl to come Seek revenge, but maybe yeah, that, that would be cool. every few years it gets pushed back a few more years. Basically, like it's been in talks. It's oh yeah, we're gonna make it. We're gonna make it. Gets pushed back. Like three. It's one of those things that we'll probably never actually get by Tarantino himself. You know, one day someone else will have the rights to do it, and it'll be blame. But if they continue this storyline with the little girl, I think that'd be really cool. That'd be a really good idea. But would it be worthy of Tarantino's last movie? No. Like if we knew we were only gonna get one more, would you want it to be Kill Bill Three, Stevie? No. No. That's it. Just I no. Mean, <laughs> no. 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 I mean, he considers like he considers one and two one movie anyway, which is literally not one movie because it's he two. He wrote it as one, shot it one as script, one. Yeah. And he also numbered it volume as one, one and volume two. two. And Uma told him to call it one, so it's one. Do you consider it one movie, Stevie? <laughs> yes. I'm not gonna tell another like another person what def- like what their art is. Uh, he, I mean, he considers it one. It's one. <laughs> if Clay wants to be called Muhammad Ali, I'm gonna call him Muhammad Ali. If Tommy Wiseau says the room's the best movie ever, it's the best movie it's ever. The it's the best movie ever. I mean, eye of the creator. Yeah, if he wants to be called Muhammad Ali, let him be called Muhammad Ali. Who am I to say? He whooped Joe Lewis's ass, though. <laughs> Thank you, Corey. Could not be less mm. analogous. <laughs> Happy, though, are you buying what I'm selling at Joe all Lewis? with this stuff? I don't think like, so. Uma basically just went AWOL. Like, what happens to soldiers when they ditch out 
in war. Like, I don't know. That's not the I, same, I like, though. That's, like, not even near the same. I mean, like, one, I think that, like, she's a little bit above all these other people because she chose to actively stop living a life of crime and violence. So it's at least at least something for True. for her. Uh, so maybe, like, a half a step more moral. But then... Um, I don't know. Is revenge to this scale justified? That's a deep philosophical question that probably depends on, you know, someone's outlook on on life. I mean, at least for like a couple of the people, I think it's pretty well justified. Um, she does think her baby's dead. Renita Green said she quit too. Well, still killed her. That's what makes a good movie. In the context of this movie, it's justified. This movie draws a line in the sand at, like, kids. I don't think Uma Thurman was mad that she got a bullet put in her head. I think she was mad for the simple fact that, like, in her mind, like, her kid died because of Bill. And she just killed 120 people in Tokyo before visiting Vernita Green. (laughs) I mean, she could have killed that little girl easily, but she was just like, no, I'm good. Yeah, no reason to. But let's talk about that. What's up with this lack of the sword? Like, why doesn't she have the sword with Vernita? That's a good question. That's the thing I've never been able to wrap my head around. How does she still have the pussy wagon after being in Tokyo or after being in Japan that long? I just guess she parked it in the airport. You, just, parking lot? you don't just drop the pussy wagon, dude. You hold <laughs> on to that. You don't think anyone's looking for that vehicle after Buck's been murdered? In yeah, the why were the cops looking for that truck? <laughs> yeah. Like, she, oh. Buck, let's go see if he still has his car here. What hospital is going to hire a nurse that's got whatever he had tattoos on his hand and drives a truck that says pussy wagon? <laughs> wow, that's uh, stereotyping, and I believe. That's not stereotyping. That's your eyes. You could see this. Wow, let the man live, Brett. If you pass your boards and you went through clinicals, you get hired anyway. That's a bad idea. <laughs> This is the reason why Kill Bill is not my favorite is because I do not like the editing of these chapters. I don't like the non-sequential order of it. I don't think it works. Do you like it in Pulp well. Fiction? Well, I think it's more coherent in Pulp Fiction. I was a little confused as to why we started <laughs> in Pasadena when that's it's number two on her list. Why because would we... that's the small fight, Mikey. We can't start on the big fight. But like, why not? Why make it that way? Yeah, make the big fight in Pasadena. No, I'm saying why not make Vernita Green number one stop? Yeah, of course she did say that Oren Ishii was the easiest to find, so yes. she had to go take. And care she of that found right out away. from Sophie where Vernita was. Yeah, you're right. He's right. When he's right, he's right. Well, I don't know. I'm. I got feet in both sides here because like. I think Tarantino knows like this was the most entertaining way to take this in, but it doesn't seem to serve like a narrative, like storytelling purpose. Pappy, do you agree with that? I don't know. You can move us into this Daryl Hannah scene too, if you want, if you want to. Um, I guess I would say that I, I do enjoy the way that the um, exposition is structured in this. Uh, Cause I mean, that's all essentially out of order too, right? Like this Daryl Hannah, Hannah scene is also a, a flashback. Um, that whistling's pretty iconic. I don't think I can do it very well. Brett, are you a good whistler? No, no, no. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's pretty haunting. I did, Tarantino called this like his De Palma scene. You see a lot of like the split split screens or whatever, like something out of Carrie. Um, mm. 
She's real pissed that she can't inject uh, <laughs> Beatrice. She loses her fucking shit in the hospital. This is like the one hospital where no one's up in each other's business whatsoever. You can scream, you can get your head bashed in, and no one seems to notice what's, <laughs> you can what's wear going a, on at all. You can wear a Halloween costume as a nurse. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's our. You're on the coma floor. Nobody's down hanging around on the coma floor. That's just a uh, nurse patch eye over there. Hey, nurse patch eye. <laughs> She's got the little cross. Yeah. I, I do like this though. I really do. Um, and even though the getting into sort of the next scene too, like the shock when she wakes up, like I, I, I love all this stuff. I love like her just like discovering her legs and her muscles again, like being atrophied. It's, it's so good. Yeah. This is very Kung fu She wills herself out of this paralysis she's in. Um, she's almost crawling around for a little bit. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio is when he's on Quaaludes in Wolf of Wall Street. Get or the ludes. The, that's what it is, right? Quaaludes that they're on. Yeah. I don't know. Something weird. But here she's paralyzed from like the waist down and she's able to like kick her system back into gear by wiggling her big toe. Do you think this is some of Tarantino's best feet stuff, guys? The best feet stuff? <laughs> <laughs> the macro shots of her toes? HDR, 4K shots of her <laughs> feet. Feet are kind of gross, so. Uh, I mean, I know I was jerking off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. It's just. It'd be weird if you weren't. It does say it's like it took her 13 hours or whatever for her to like finally get up out of the car, and then she's walking fairly normal at that point. How did no one smell Buck? smell him <laughs> i mean he had to like if he died like if buck died he had to have shit himself by then like that's tough travels. it's a hospital man it smells like that everywhere in the coma floor yeah they crap their pants all the time especially when buck's the only one there he's he's in there paying people to rape corpses and you think he's cleaning bedpans <laughs> that tub of Vaseline he pulls out is one of the grossest oh. movie props. Of oh ever. my god, it's so gross. That is amazing. I love that Tarantino like thought about making that as gross as he did with like grime and fucking hair sticking to it. And then there's a zoom in insert shot of it. It's it's beautiful. Like that's what this man does. I I just can't believe they he hired uh, you should make a joke, Bobby, to be that guy. Yeah. Adam Sandler's guy? Yeah. Yeah. Plus, what's the comment mean? What does he say? You're the prettiest girl I've been with today? Yeah, yeah. that's what he says. <laughs> Dude, is he just, is, he needs a pussy wagon if that's true. I mean, like, I'm just saying he, I hope he's not been banging coma patients all day, but, you know. No, I, I agree that it's weird to see him in any other movie, though, right? Like, you'd think Sandler has yeah. him on retainer. A non-compete <laughs> agreement. Yeah. <laughs> So there's the feet stuff. <laughs> I mean, like, I love that scene. Like when she's like willing her like pinky toes into power. Like, is it really just that reductive to you, Josh? Where it's like Quentin Tarantino shows feet bad. Like, come on. It's a good scene. It's so a good what shot. if a man likes feet? Honestly, <laughs> so it's 2021. What? We've never lived in a more 
sex positive society. People say don't kink shame. Let him love his feet, Josh. Who are you to judge? Who knew you could beat the power of four years of atrophy with just a little... Well, it's her samurai willpower. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's kind of bullshit. Pie taught her that stuff. Wait, this is where you're picking logical holes, CinemaSins, Brett? Like, the whole point is the over-the-topness, right? Well, she's like a superhero in her own right, you know? she's Her power is her indomitable will. Yes, it's crazy anime. She's just, yeah, she's doing crazy things. They're flying around. It's all over the top. All right. Well, I think we're kind of behind on the time here because we need to do the like second two thirds of the movie, which all takes place in Japan. But of course, when one manages the difficult task of becoming queen of the Tokyo underworld, one doesn't keep it a secret, does one? There's a very cool anime sequence here. Uh, Mikey, you probably like this stuff, right? Like yeah, Tarantino, really cool. Tarantino's never really done anything like this before. What happens here? Like, Tell us uh, Oren's backstory a little bit. Oren Ishii was born on an American military base in Tokyo, Japan. The half-Japanese, half-Chinese American army brat made her first acquaintance with death at the age of nine. It was at that age... She well, this whole portion is animated and in anime style. And it's telling the, the backstory of Oren Ishii, her family being murdered by some what yakuza boss or something or mafia guy then she like ends up getting revenge on him and killing him with a sword or something in bed and it was all animated and i think that was <laughs> done on purpose because i don't think a lot of studios would show i don't know a child with a man in bed and then having her slice him in half or whatever i don't know i think that was you think that's part of the reason why they did it that way well, yeah, because the also like the other animated portion of this movie is like the bride getting beat to shit in like a circle while pregnant. Yeah, while pregnant. So I was like, I don't think that. Yeah, I don't know if a studio is going to show any of that kind of stuff. Pappy, do you want to bring up Weinstein at all here? What about him? I don't know. I don't know. We're talking about pedophilia, and he. I don't know. <laughs> I did see that it was his idea to make it two movies, which does. I want to see like the whole bloody affair, like Quentin Tarantino's single cut of this, arguably more than like anything else in the world. Actually, that would be so awesome. Um, Cause it only ran for like 30 days or something in LA, right? Stevie, you were telling me. Yeah. I think it was, it ran 40 days in Los Angeles. Well, you can't get it online or something. Not officially. I think it's all like fan estimations and edits. Yeah. Oh. But not, not like his, his cut. But anyway, all of this, to, to Mikey's point, to Mikey's anime scene, all of if it is just to like cover up for something they couldn't show in live action, it's all worth it for the geysers of blood that scored out like thirteen times in that scene. It's the yeah. cool, it's my favorite thing in the whole movie. It's really beautifully animated too. Little known fact: this is for Corey the the gun that she uses when she's under the bed. That is a Desert Eagle point five zero. Oh shit! And she yeah. shoots some feet. Let's go. <laughs> Josh. That's a, such a cool scene. Would that really happen with that gun, Brett? Is that like realistic? No, no. But uh, I mean, as my late friend Gray would say, when you get a Desert Eagle .50, that's not a gun you get to wound. That is for killing. So uh, that, a bullet that big, I mean, it could, I wouldn't know if it'd blow your leg off, but, you know, might blow your hand off. What about a foot? <laughs> I doubt it. 
I love this anime scene because, like Corey said, it's just beautiful. But also, there's like this one character in it that they never may name or mention again. He's like this crazy sword guy. Yeah. And there's a couple characters like this in this film that are just so memorable. But this one especially. Do you know who I'm talking about, Corey? Yeah, he has like a really good look. He has like a really strong anime villain look for sure. You know, like yeah, the typical definitely. anime villain move where like... They kill someone and then like it shows their mouth and like a half smile forms and then it's just like yes, <laughs> like <laughs> you gotta love that shit. And he's so sneaky. I gotta see a spinoff, a spinoff with him. Oh yeah, yeah. This whole thing looks like an old style anime too, like the old like really hand drawn like eighties anime, you know, or nineties I guess. But the old style. It, it, the look of it's just it's it's great and it. Uh, I don't know. One of the parts of the movie that I don't hear talked about that much that is really, really strong, the animated stuff. I love it when he sets the fire with the whiskey bottle and kicking the cigar into it. It's brilliant. He does the bottle cap challenge. <laughs> he, he started the bottle cap. Yeah, he was the originator. <laughs> nice, Brett. <laughs> I forget the anime part is in this movie every time. Like, I always forget that it's in here. Right. And it always catches me by surprise. It's kind of like in the Star Wars holiday special. There's all of a sudden just an animated break. Very, <laughs> very similar vibes. You know what always takes me by surprise is the uh, Jefferson Starship. I'm like, oh, fuck. Time to turn it off. In the Star Wars or this? <laughs> the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Shouldn't have gone on like that. Like the virtual reality porn part. I feel like this animation serves as a very hard reset for the movie. And it's almost like Stevie, is it almost like starting a new movie here when she goes to Hanzo's little uh, oh, yeah. fast food check? Yeah, it's a little kind of like a cat and mouse game. The two of them are playing at his, um, I mean, it's like a sushi restaurant, right? Seems to be. I love that scene. I love that conversation with them. Just legit local Japanese food. Yeah, I like the idea of them starting really far apart in the spectrum and like slowly coming closer and closer. Especially with her like, you know, pretending not to be good at Japanese and, you know, him being very inviting and just the slow buildup of, hey, I know who you are and this is what I want. I think that's like, and plus the music too, when she gets up to his attic and, you know, he's looking over all of her, all of his great swords that he's made. It's really pretty. Who is a better, what's a better Sonny Chiba performance? Here is Hitori Hanzo or as the main Yakuza <laughs> guy in Tokyo Drift? Yeah. Ooh. I will say this. I like to like kind of the mythos behind his name. Like his name carries so much weight within the mm -hmm. universe of the story and just, you know, how sweet he seems. Uh, to Uma, like it's just—he's a very yeah. likable guy. I mean, he's maybe like my favorite character. Plus, I love the little rivalry he has with this little second in command. Yes, because he is a sweet guy, but he like freaking <laughs> despises this guy. But I'm sure he loves him too. Like they've been like they been yeah, it's... together. They've been together for thirty years. They, I mean, they're sick of each other, but they love each other. I'm sure. So exactly I like how you said that, Josh. It is kind of like a, a reset. This is like a another like boot to the movie. Like this is where we're going from here. It just kind of energizes you for more. I like that. 
yeah, using the animation seems to work really well for that in this for some reason. Just really breaks it apart, I guess. But Pappy, do you want to keep us moving with the plot a little bit? Like, I don't want to skip over Hanzo stuff. So can you just take us through it really quick here? Like what happens here? He writes his name in the dust in the window. What else? <laughs> he writes Bill in the window. <laughs> yeah, he's got to uh, make a sword uh, for her. One of my favorite parts, I guess, of this whole scene is too is when she's just in awe of the display of swords that he has and the reverence that she she has for the swords and it's just kind of Josh, I mean Josh you're more a time, you're an editor what, what is that it's like a both like his face is on the screen and her face is on the screen like cross fading but not fading between them double negative maybe May, yeah uh, yeah you can see like him like fading and like he's like fading in the background like w- watching her pick out the swords yeah. and he tells her not this one the, the second one from the top it's just I don't know. You, you can just tell it's just a, a really important referential. Not just, you know, the way that Tarantino feels about the actor himself, but just the, the way that the bride feels about him. I love it. And I love the baseball Chuck as well, too. I like baseball. <laughs> and he just wings it at her. Like, if she had been a poser, this would be a very different sequence of events. <laughs> that's the, that's yeah. the original test. Just loses a tooth. <laughs> the scene, too, has some, like, Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter in the wand shop vibes sort of thing, too. And the, the production design, I mean, obviously, it's a, a Tarantino movie, so he's got, like, the best of the best working with him. But just to think, you know, that this is the same movie that we saw like the dusty Texas bar in where her body was outlined and the, like the Pasadena, California home. It's like, it's just the movie's just taking to all these really cool places to this point. It's, it's so fun. My only gripe is that we didn't get to see him make the sword. No montage of him, like forging something or I, don't, I thought that would have been cool. Yeah pretty un- unceremonious handing off of the sword and like there's nothing like she's not doing anything in between like getting up the hijinks out in whatever yeah i don't see her training or anything or it's just like one month one month later although i think i feel like i remember there being a deleted scene where she's out in town and something happens but i could be wrong you want to see like the rocky training montage where she's like <laughs> well after I mean, she after flies to Russia straight from Okinawa. Ghostbusters in 84, I mean, they perfected the montage. No one has really tried since. I mean, I could, I could go for a montage here. I looked at the runtime, and it was only like an hour 50. I was like, that's pretty short for a Tarantino movie. I could have gone <laughs> yeah. for some extra scenes here and there. Yeah, he should have taken her to town, got her drunk, and told her to dance with a guy that was clearly taken by, like, Ronda Rousey. So then she, you know, just like Van Damme. No, we get it. Starts dancing in the book. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's move on because anyway, we're like falling out of time here. But Lucy Liu is like kind of the main bad in this movie. And she's head of this huge, powerful gang that's overthrown the Yakuza in this kind of alternate reality. The new gang's called the Crazy 88. She's got a cast of characters with her. Sophie or Sophia is kind of her like brilliant Gal Gadot in Fast and Furious weapons expert or talking on the phone expert or something. And <laughs> talking on the phone expert. Talking wow. On the phone okay. Expert. Sexist much? <laughs> Jeez, Josh. She is the leader of the Yakuza, Josh. Hold on, hold on. And so then there's Gogo, who's kind of this, like, maybe the best single fighter, but she's also just kind of this badass. 
Yeah. Psychopath. Is she an eighth grader too? How old is she? <laughs> She's like a Tekken character. She's a psycho weeb, man. She's like psycho. <laughs> yeah. She kills maybe the ugliest man I've ever seen in my entire life in that bar. She's <laughs> Brett. Leave his teeth. And then there's Brett. Leave his man teeth. was down <laughs> bad. <laughs> down bad. And then there's also the like uh, bald guy general who's kind of the head of the crazy eighty eight like proper Johnny Mo to movie club thirty six <laughs> chamber man oh Sante and if we do Kill Bill three at uh, two he will be in the three movie club yeah, yeah. so that's my super truncated version of her squad <laughs> thanks everyone sorry uh, well, Josh no, why I are you trying it. to rust the Patreon episode let it breathe yeah let Take it breathe bro this is fine wine let it breathe how, Josh how I was trying to read off be? a list and every time I set a name there's like it was great I loved it. It's a great list. Josh, bro. how awesome would it be just to be Quentin Tarantino and you can just make a movie putting all the things you like in it, like your Jap- favorite Japanese actor, favorite Chinese actor, lots of shots of Irma, Uma Thurman's feet. Like You can just do whatever <laughs> you want with it. It's awesome. I do feel like this is the movie where he almost like arrived to that level. Well, this is coming off of Jackie Brown, though, which was not as successful. I feel, I feel like there was a little bit more pressure on him to make a... Is that right? What number is this? This is four. Four, yeah. Four. So you want Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, this, which is interesting because like when you listen to Charlie Rose like interviews and him talking about this movie, he's writing in Glorious Bastards like this whole time. Like he's talking about how he started writing it like right after Pulp Fiction, and he's like writing it as this movie is coming out. It's it's kind of crazy how long he spent on that one. I feel like something is always happening in this movie, and I mentioned earlier his like mixed media that he uses like the anime the the written word the text on screen the feet um what if he, one thing that came up like when he when she's murdering buck she likes asks him a question at one point and he like gulps and it's like the most realistic <laughs> but like zoomed in gulp i've ever heard in a movie and i just really enjoy that stuff your name is buck right and you came here to fuck, right? Wait a minute. Wait. She gives him the Bulltooth Tony, like, head door smash. <laughs> Love this track. So when I watched this Kill Bill for the first time in theaters, finally the tension was relieved from even that opening scene, like the waves of tension, finally relieved, I feel like in this forthcoming crazy 88 scene. Like the first time someone Dang. has their arm cut off and blood is just spraying out like mm. crazy. I almost felt like a sigh of, I think that's Sophie that that happens to. As messed up as it sounds, it's almost like a sigh of relief. Like, okay, this is going to be kind of playful now. You know what I Did mean? Did you say you released some tension while you were watching this movie in the theater? Yeah, Josh. You're sick in the head, dude. Bro. <laughs> Paul Rubin he, style. Paul Rubin. Right when that blood came out of Sophie, that's when he came. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to want to edit point this whole conversation. <laughs> Did he come or what? I agree with you, Josh, that the the gore fest and blood splurting in this movie is Love hilarious. That. Like, it is genuinely funny. It's so good. It's so comical, it's not gross or anything at all to me. It's like the Adams Family kids when they do that scene, you know, Wednesday and Pugsley are on stage and they 
fake cut each other's oh, yeah. limbs off and it just starts flying. So good. It's exactly like that. Well, in that anime, blood is flying all over the place and then we see Lucy Liu decapitate that guy and it's just it's spraying all over the place like an anime cartoon. It's disgusting. Poor Boss Tanaka, if he would have just waited it out, he could have made a power play after Lucy Liu and her gang. Oh, is that Mori Tanaka's cousin? <laughs> Joking aside, though, that is one of the best parts in the movie for me. When she's killing all the 88 and she's got this little cat and mouse game going with the general um, who's kind of getting the best of her and she keeps having to run away from him. Uh I love that, Stevie. I know you love talking about set pieces and blocking. Do you think this is like a master class? Like, how do you feel about this scene? I mean, it's absolutely insane. And just before that, the long shot, like the long sequence throughout the House of Blue Leaves, yeah, is absolutely insane to me. It is. I don't know if it was like an existing building or a, you know, a soundstage or set that they built, but the way that that camera moves for minutes upon minutes, like a maze throughout. And I'm not sure if they did like crane and handoffs to a camera operator, but I feel so bad for that camera operator who's having to walk that entire thing. <laughs> and you can see like overhead views. Yeah, like you see overhead views. That's why I think stuff. it was almost like a crane handoff from time to time of like Quentin on a crane to handoff to walking through, walk through, walk through, back to crane, going up and handoff again. That's where it, my mind kind of goes with it. But the fight is just absolutely insane to me. I don't know how, that, how long that took to shoot. Um, but it looked just excitingly choreographed and just like kind of you said this movie does a great job of energizing you throughout time it's almost like okay this fight's almost getting boring the music turns on and the music is just great for the last half of that fight and I also like how you know after this fight's completely done they you know Quentin shows the aftermath of everything I I enjoyed that (laughs) I think the fight it it maintains like interest by being broken up into like various segments. You yes. Know? And mm-hmm. that's a really good way to do it. And I mean, part of that is music cues, but visually things have changed distinctively several times. This is what I want to do for the scene. And yes, that was a major note for me, Corey, that like there are like nine different distinct music tracks. And if you're watching this with captions on, it names every one of them as it comes up. It's kind of helpful. Happy. I was hoping you'd go first, but for this section, because there's so many deaths, so many little parts, I want to go around to everyone and just choose your, like your favorite or most interesting little part in this building. First, Pappy, describe the general like. This is for some thinking time for y'all, but describe the general like uh, facade of the crazy eighty-eight like worker bees. What what are these guys all about? Um, yeah, so very businessman attire, right? They're all wearing black suits, uh, white shirts, skinny, thin black ties with a, a mask that you would see like almost at like a masquerade ball where everyone knows exactly who each other is because it's just like covering up your eyes or something like a little raccoon mask. They're pretty drunk. They're pretty wild. Uh, they like to scream when they run around. It's so funny. When they're screaming like that in business suits. It's just a weird image. I want to add one thing. The mask, and I think they say it very quickly in the movie, it's a Kato mask. Kato. Yeah. Who what does that mean? Bruce Lee Green in Hornet? that show, The Green Hornet. That's kind of like yes. where he took off in like American cinema in the public eye. Mm-hmm. He started doing movies like right after that. Like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle mask? 
Is that what you mean? The Kato no. mask, bro. The Kato mask. Uh, Literally, what they're wearing is what Kato wears in the show. I think it was only on for like a season, but yeah, he was in the OJ trial. <laughs> yeah, Pappy, keep TMNT out Sorry. of your mouth. You hate that shit. Sorry. <laughs> it's not a Casey Jones mask, okay? <laughs> it's a different thing. Pappy, kick us off in this round table. Uh, okay, favorite part? I guess little detail. I'll say the the evolution of the blood in the pool is like the first guy who runs at her she just like it's a specific named minion who she sends down as like kind of like to fill out the waters and she just fucking destroys him like cuts his sword in half and lifts him up by her sword throws him in the pool and then like he's not the only one to go in the pool but the next time when we get back into color later you see that this changed to like red waves mm. it's so awesome such a great little attention to detail there Corey, you're up yeah these henchmen can't fuck with her dude they, they cannot fuck with the black mamba baby she's the kobe bryant of assassins that's why they gave her that name <laughs> first of all the henchmen bunch of shitheads right so like the main henchmen that hang out with Lucy Liu, they're like talking shit and making like jerk off signs and like telling the Charlie Brown guy, this poor fucking bastard that's probably terrified, <laughs> to go fetch pizza. He's like, we don't have pizza here. Like, go find it, bitch. Like, <laughs> so I'm glad they're all dead. Um, I like the fight though when she takes out the first few guys. She has to fight the first mini boss, which is Gogo, because she's actually like good like she could have she could have probably won if she had slightly better luck Gogo has this crazy fucking chain. Mace. Oh my gosh, that's such a scary weapon. It is. It has a metal ball at the end. She just swings it around. Like, how the fuck do you defend against that? Right? Especially how she's moving with it. It seems so erratic or something. Right. Like, she can't fight with the team. It has to just be her. You can see why they sent her out alone. Right? She would destroy all her allies. They've tried that before. Numerous people died. <laughs> yeah. Always send Go-Go alone. <laughs> they, were the cra- they were the crazy 66s for a while after that. <laughs> Corey, don't take too many moments. Don't do a Brett mashed potatoes and gravy and corn. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the Go-Go just, fight for me. Like, it's just it's brutal. Beat down bread hour. Whatever I'm used to it. Brett, we love you and you're indelible. We can't forget about you. Indelible Brett. We'll be indelible Brett. Yeah, indelible like a skid mark. (laughs) What? No, that's not true. Skid marks can be removed. Uh, Anyway, I'm next. I'm going to say it's a really small moment, but like I love the moments of kung fu like magic in this movie. And there's some with like her just like flipping around to find gravity. But my favorite one is when Lucy Liu like senses her and throws that dart through the sheet 
I just, something about that scene is, or that part of yeah. the scene is so badass. That's mine. Something I liked a lot this time was you have the whole set with all the normal colors you get used to. And then towards the end, they go to this room and it's really bright blue. It like looks like they're in an episode of mm -hmm. Tron, like a, a scene in Tron. It reminds me of like a song that uh, like uh, for my music file, like Eminem, Despicable or uh, uh, Kill You, Black Black Eyed Key. Uh, I'm sorry, the Black Keys. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, doesn't matter. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> 10 a.m. automatic. Gold on the ceiling. Keep going. Go ahead. You're fine. <laughs> Try to think of it. Your touch. Gosh dang it. This can be edited out. Give me one sec. I'm sorry. What are you actually trying to think of? The Black Keys song, no. man. Hit him. Just any Black Keys song? No, the Black Eyed Keys. It uh, doesn't matter. Like when, when, uh, like a <laughs> <laughs> the worst crossover of all time. <laughs> Fergie plays guitar. <laughs> like you have this really cool set piece with all these really cool things. Like you were talking about the black and white, the blood in the water. And then you go to this little room where or the color changes, where it's all blue and black. And like, she's kind of finishing off the last of the people. I thought that looks super cool. It, they're like all silhouettes. It's amazing. You, you can tell they're using stunt doubles cause you get really good wides in that moment and uh, it lasts pretty long, I love it. Yeah. Mikey, choose your choice. Uh, yeah, I think it's all great. I mean, obviously it's like the climax of the movie. It's an insane uh, fight scene and choreography, uh, but I think Go-Go is probably the standout. Go-Go, I know you feel you must protect your mistress. But I beg you, walk away. Uh, a gripe? I didn't care for the black and white shift, chain shift. I would have rather seen that in color, color, I think. I think he would have as well. I think he had to do it. Yeah. For Gore. Oh, he had to? For what? MPAA. For rating, uh, R rating. Yeah, that's probably why those scenes were animated. It's also like something they did in the 70s, apparently. To when they were on TV, they'd make it black and white or whatever, so the blood wouldn't mm -hmm. show up or whatever. But by the way, the song I was thinking of is called Tighten Up. That, that, was a, that was a thing I also forgot was like, oh, I don't remember this. Maybe I had just seen it on like Blu-ray or something and it would, didn't have the black and white uh, version or whatever. I don't believe the Japanese version has the black and white. Yeah, I don't know. Just to piggyback off that though, Mikey, it is pretty clever how it goes to black and white when she tears out an eyeball. Yes. <laughs> and then when she blinks, it goes back to color or something. Something like that. It's meaningful. Stevie, do you have a choice chosen? Um, It's a really small moment. It's within the go-go fight. But when she wraps that chain around her neck, it's a really tiny moment. I love the sound of her cracking neck. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it builds great tension. It's almost this kind of fear of like, kind of old timey TV, you know, kind of like, how does the bride escape? You know, escape this time. Find out <laughs> next week. 
yeah, it's just that little crack of the neck, I think, is a really nice touch on that scene. And as far as, like, the giant fight goes, I love the breakdance sword fighting. Yeah. Uh, when good. she's chopping off legs left and right. I love that. <laughs> I, love the, I love the above shots. I love, like, the close shots, the wide shots. I think it's great. There's also that little silhouetted shot where that one dude kind of, like, wimps out and she spanks him. Yeah. That's pretty cool, too. He's, like, the last, but, like, low-level guy, right? She doesn't even yeah, kill him. He's number 88. Yeah, he's the 88th. <laughs> he's the 88th. <laughs> what do they call that football in football, Brett, uh, in the NFL draft, like the last person chosen? Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, he's Mr. Irrelevant. Damn, that's sure. a fucked up name. <laughs> Imagine you're going to play professional sports. It is, and but it's kind of become its own thing, though, and they even have a, like a jersey. And you get it. called Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I'm in the pros. Yeah, yeah I got drafted. I got drafted. <laughs> Well, does anybody particularly like the last one-on-one scene and want to help us run through it? I don't have anyone in my notes to particularly toss it to. I mean, it's cool. I can bring up a part that gives me chills. Well, why don't you run us on like a really high level of what happens and then zoom in after that, Stevie? So, I mean, it's pretty much a bunch of like shit-talking and I love how Atori Hanzo gets brought back up in the conversation again of like, you know, she's like, where'd you get that sword? And he's like, and she's like, Atori Hanzo. She's like, liar. And shows like, emotion. Yeah. The part that like, I imagine Oren asked for a sword to be made by him at some point in the past. And he said, no. <laughs> oh, good yeah. Point, yeah. So I, I think that really like burned her. Uh, the fact that, you know, like she said, silly white girl plays with samurai swords. Uh, but the part that, like, gets me jacked is when they're about to square off and the song Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood comes on. Baby, do you understand me now? Oh, my God, dude. I was <laughs> clapping along that last night. My dog was going crazy. But yeah, it, I, I was, like, feeling it in my bones. That song gets me, like, hyped. And it's another way... Quentin's brilliant with musical cues of like getting me excited for something again. One, I think we can all agree that it would have been better if after Oren said, you lie, the bride said, do I? <laughs> <laughs> like turtles. But, uh, yeah, we get it. <laughs> Pappy, don't, Pappy can't laugh though. You lie! Uh, the scene where the first blow, the first significant blow is landed, always kind of catches me off guard when he she slices uh, the bride along the back, and she just kind of collapses. I think that's like really, really well done. And you're, I mean, obviously you know that she doesn't die, but you're like, oh man, this is how is she gonna recover from this? Uh, Oren's probably the best swords person in the world. Uh, they kind of make it seem like it always kind of seems like, you know, uh, Vernita was the best with knives and Oren was the is the best with uh, the sword. But Beatrix beats them both at their same at their own game. So not to bring the NFL back into this, but it's OK. I love the NFL. Oren is a great head coach. She keeps 
her offense on the field. You know what I mean? She even makes a note to say, oh, yeah. like, you've had to kill, like, good luck with this fight. <laughs> did, any, has, did anybody check the factoid on IMDb? It says that after she says you won't last five minutes, apparently when uh, Uma steps forward. Talk about the time tracking? To the moment that Oren dies, it's four minutes and 59 seconds. Did anybody track that? I didn't track it. That sounds like something he would do. But, yeah, I mean, you if you could get her to go against 89 people before she faces you, <laughs> you're doing something right. But, it, again, it just didn't work. Pappy, this, this fight ends with Beatrix actually, like, scalping Lucy Liu. And I love Lucy Liu's character in this. I kind of alluded to it earlier. She doesn't show, like, any emotion except about the sword, basically, and when she gets cut she realizes they're like equals but i guess just like to round out the scene do you feel like this was a good kind of climax climatic scene for this movie a good good way to end yeah i love it and i know that we were talking about like making the bride fight through or beatrix fight through those 88 people but it's kind of like that same level of like dishonor right that that uh Vivica A. Fox, or what were we calling her? Vivacia A. Fox. Yeah. <laughs> Shows at the beginning of the movie where it's like, it's, it's a little it's a little dirty, right? To like not just take her one-on-one. But I mean, even like, you know, Japan in the snow, that, that garden, it's, it's fucking awesome. And the red blood mm-hmm. and everything. It's I think it's very fitting. And, and I'm, I'm with Stevie too. That song gets me hyped at the, at the square off of the fight. I, I love it. I think it's a very worthy, worthy climax here. And even just the way that Uma Thurman sits down on the bench and there's that overhead shot of the snow and she just looks fucking exhausted like from like every one of her limbs just like slumping in this like uncomfortable stone stool i i, I love this final scene looks like me or you after a cross country uh like concord junior high cross country race man you just like you can't hold anything after that. It's like you in that fight. After you fought a guy. I was going to say, after you beat up that kid in the back of the cross-country bus, more or less. Okay. That is nothing. <laughs> yeah, Josh, that's real fucked up, dude. This has everything to do with it, Josh. Talking about a kung fu movie. You broke his Who glasses. It's kind of like cutting off the top of his head. <laughs> Maybe I'm conflating two of your violent stories. There's so many of them, Josh. It's tough to keep keep track. Oh, my gosh. A history of violence. One small note to Brett's point about like just something Tarantino would do is I noticed that the first kind of blow in this fight isn't actually like a cut. It's when Uma Thurman hits off the top of Lucy Liu's like scabbard that she's kind of using as a weapon. And I feel like that is kind of a reference to like she's going to cut off the top of her scabbard in a second here in a little bit. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Corey, you are kind of like our lore guy. Why don't you finish this out here? There's a few loose ends that this movie kind of ties up. Well, after she's defeated, uh, you know, the boss of this film as it is, which is Lucy Liu, she cuts her head off with that really cool effect, by the way. I don't know if you guys have seen the behind the scenes images, but she has like this cone head thing because it was like a forced perspective shot. Um, So it's like this giant thing on top of her head. It looks really funny without the perspective. Um, But basically the bride, uh, the Black Mamba, uh, she takes the uh, survivor, Sophie, and um, doesn't kill her, 
makes her send a message to Bill, basically, and which she does. Basically, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after the rest of the uh, dead, Deadly Viper Assassin Squad. Is that right? Yeah, 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 so she sends a message, um, but it ends with a conversation between Bill and Sophie. Again, Bill's completely off screen, very chilling stuff. You know, this guy's our mystery man. And uh, it ends with the question, does she know that her daughter is still alive? Roll credits. Does it look like, like the bride wants Bill to tell everyone that she's coming for him. Does it look like Vivica A. Fox had any idea that she was coming for? Because definitely not. It, if she was smart, I feel like she'd answer every door with a freaking gun or knife. With the kaboom cereal box, like ready to go. <laughs> something. And then you could you could always say you know maybe she did hide the gun in there. That doesn't seem like a former assassin was very prepared for. Black Mamba coming at her, but yeah, I mean, you're right because she was just at home, right? That she doesn't have a vacation house in Pasadena. Who would, right? But I, I agree with that, and, and like I mentioned earlier, the lack of a sword is kind of a question. Did she want a knife fighter? You know, she didn't bring the sword. The sword's a big thing. <laughs> we don't see it until after she gets it in, uh, not chronologically, but in the way that we see the events unfold. You know. So I had a couple lingering questions about Sophie after this. Do you guys want to hear what it says on the Quentin Tarantino fandom wiki that happens to her, according to QT himself? Sophie's fate? That's, that website sounds disgusting. <laughs> a lot of feet here, but I'll Sophie's look past feet? the feet. Okay, so I guess even in the Japanese unrated version of this movie, Bill cuts off her other arm as like punishment, which... Kylo, that kind of brings back like some Emperor Vader vibes, right? Vader would never do that. Yeah, he would never give up. He would never get <laughs> caught in the first place. But anyway, Tarantino's also said that if they do Kill Bill 3, which it seems like they will, I guess, that Sophie will be the one that like inherited this huge fortune from Bill and Oren and would raise that little girl, uh, Vernica Green's daughter, and like that would be the plot of her going after the bride. So hmm. I don't know. Take that for a grain of salt, I guess. I, for Kill Bill 3, it'd be kind of hard because I'm pretty sure David Carradine's unavailable. Oh, yeah. What's he doing? Hanging. Jeez. Dead Bill 3. Bill's dead. <laughs> He's already dead. <laughs> well, yeah, isn't he dead? Doesn't he get... Well, it's all supposed to be one movie. Five finger exploding palm technique or something? Whoa, we're not getting into Kill Bill 2 here. Spoiler alert. (laughs) There's also the fan theory that that didn't work. Hey, Josh, you brought it up. You didn't want to go into Kill Bill 2 and you had a whole half hour on Kill Bill 2 even though you didn't want to bring it up. (laughs) I certainly wanted to bring it up. Let's do final thoughts, guys. I have a final thought. The... Uh, my favorite small touch in this movie is when Sonny Chiba realizes that the Black Mamba is going after Bill. And Pappy t- talked about it, I think, really quickly, but he doesn't say Bill, right? He doesn't want to say the name. He goes up to the window and he writes Bill on the glass in the condensation or whatever. Pain. The way he dots the eye is beautiful, right? It's 
like Japanese kind of, right? Right, but it's almost like he the it's almost his emotion that is doing that too because yeah. he pushes his finger and he holds it for a second and it like slips in despair. So good. And it's just it's just great. I guess like the one final thought I kind of wanted to ask you, Josh, is I feel like they do it a lot between the two volumes. Do you like the idea of recycling actors for different characters within like like one and two movies? Because he does it with multiple people. Um, like Hamilton? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. Like Michael Park as the sheriff in this one. Yeah. And then as... Someone who knows Bill really well in the second one. No spoilers. Esteban? It's all one movie. Yeah. It's all one movie, man. It's just all one movie. But do you like that idea, though? I think it's kind of cool. It's pretty cool. It's pre- uh, I guess I never really realized that. I don't feel like that's like a prominent thing. That's a deep cut, Stevie. <laughs> I will say, though, to put like a little period on what Kylo is saying, is that after he writes Bill, like Uma goes up there and she just like, erases his name because she doesn't even want to see it and then she erases it and she sees like this little corner of the lower left B still hanging on (laughs) and like erases that too like it can't be there I love it so we've been sucking Quentin Tarantino's toes pretty hard all night tonight (laughs) there's one there's one line that absolutely drives me crazy and I I don't know if anybody else feels this way but the silly rabbit tricks are for kids i fucking hate that line it's dumb it's really it's too much (laughs) too much pop culture quentin take it take a chill pill for a second like why i like the way it's edited i hate the way it's edited i hate well her name is bellatrix beatrix Ooh. and beatrix kiddo yeah it's still stupid (laughs) doesn't it show that they've been like friends enough to like talk about silly stuff together and now here they are like Oren is a emotionless Maybe that's assassin. a backstory that we don't know about. Yeah. Is that really what it's supposed to be? Beatrix are for kids? Oh. Because oh. that's I have no absolutely idea. insane whoever just suggested that. There's no way, right? Yeah, like, that shouldn't have made it into the script. <laughs> <laughs> I was just joking, but it does kind of make sense, I guess. It works just well enough, yeah. That I don't know, but that's my only... It just makes me feel like they knew each other when they were kids. It's kind of like guess. that line of Vernita Green saying, you still take your coffee with cream and sugar. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that either. It's just kind of a what a frame of reference of saying, we've spent a lot of time together. And I think, for whatever reason, I know it makes no sense being in the script, happy for not giving the call back to it, but that you know, trickster for kids line maybe has some deeper meaning than we'll ever know. Silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids. It must be very deep. Like a really, really cool bonding story that we'll never, ever see. They were so hungry one time and only had one bowl of tricks between them. <laughs> <laughs> Pap, can you uh, do oh, no. an impression of the people yelling at Boss Tanaka? No, absolutely not. I've retired <laughs> my Japanese accent. We've, we've talked about this. It never, It never saw the light of day, nor should it. But... I will say, if you can't go to Japan, I do recommend it. It's a cool place to go. Yeah. That's how you learn to do the accent. 
I was immersed for two weeks. I could do it perfectly. And then I came back to the United States and just sounded very racist practicing it in my studio apartment. <laughs> but did you learn how to drift? Ooh, ah, ooh, ah, yes. All right, waving it off, waving <laughs> this shit off. That's that's the end. Um, <laughs> that's gold. Come on. Uh, before we choose, we're gonna choose one of us to toss it to Spoiler Man, and to do that, we're gonna play a little trivia game. Um, yes or no's? Oh God, Josh, trivia. Oh, geez. we're gonna do trivia in just a little bit, and. The segment right before that is our yes or no segment. Everyone is going to give a yes or a no to this movie. It's a binary rating system. We're going to go in the same order that we've gone in that we've been going in all night. Pappy, you're up. Give a yes or no. Say a couple words about this movie. Hard yes this time around. Uh, liked it a lot more this time around. Had only seen it a couple times, um, you know, a decade plus ago, and was just way more interested in. Even if I didn't understand the references, this is sort of the mishmash of pop culture that is in Quentin Tarantino's brain and spewed out into this this movie. This really awesome, colorful, sometimes not colorful, over the top, interesting way. So definite hard yes. Good good movie. Uh, hopefully we do volume two relatively soon, but we'll see. Yeah, a patron can request it. This is Corey. I'm gonna give it a yes. This movie's awesome. Like, it, it really is. And you guys don't know this, obviously, so you can't hold it over my head. Well, you're going to know now. Uh, when this movie came out when I was in high school, the first one came out the next year, the second one came out. I was, like, such a snob. I was like, I don't even want to see those movies. Basically, there was so much hype among, like, the people I knew and I guess just people in general about the Kill Bill movies. People were talking about it. People were beaming about it. And I was just like... Uh, being like an arrogant shithead. I was like, I refuse to watch them. Anyway, I watched them several years later. So only Fast and the Furious? Only Fast and the Furious for you? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That All day. That was the only movie I had seen. <laughs> so arrogant. <laughs> I was just annoying, basically, but uh, I do really like this movie. Very well-executed film um, on many levels. Like, the way it looks is amazing, especially the final act in the House of the Blue Leaves and how the look of it changes when they step outside, like the environmental shift is just really beautiful and fitting with what's happening in the story. A lot of things like that are just great. Great Kung Fu movie, this one. So, you know, Quentin Tarantino, a guy that I assume grew up on like 70s movies and a lot of Kung Fu movies, ended up making uh, one of the all-time great American Kung Fu movies. So there you have it. Josh from Goshen here. Uh, I think a good barometer to take is how of a, of any movie is how memorable are the side characters and kind of like I mentioned earlier in this pod I think they're ridiculously memorable in this movie you have the little girl who's going to take revenge eventually you have that crazy dude in the animation you have Gogo I mean she doesn't really have much screen time in this but I don't know if I'll ever forget Gogo um, she's a part of me, Gogo. I love Gogo. Easy, Gogo seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to screw me? Uh, anyway, huge yes for me for this movie. Thank you so much, B- for uh, having us do this. I love it. Me? Yes, sir. All right. Well, this is Raekwon the chef from Fort Wayne. 
Um, first of all, B-Wolf, thank you for the patronage and picking this movie, and you're all right in my book. Just so you know, my very first AOL screen name was Rizza Ray 739 How many screen names did you have? My very, very first one ever, Rizza Ray 739 Yeah, how many times did you change your persona on AOL Instant Messenger? <laughs> I had a couple screen names, but that was... People didn't really know how to spell it. So I think I eventually changed it, but I don't remember. Rizaray was was had it for a couple years. Um, I was really big in the Wu Tang. Brett, let it go, let it go, Brett. This is a hard yes for me. I love this movie. This and the second one are both movies that I don't know. Rich Eisen calls it something where you're surfing, and if it's on, I'm watching it. TV, HBO, whatever. I'm watching this the next one. I love it. Uh, I would love to see both of them together like Pappy said I didn't even know that was a thing so uh, I hope that we get to see that sometime definitely hard yes great pick thanks Brett Mikey Uh, just for any future patron request please don't compare us to any specific group or anything just for the sake of Brett's mental health uh we don't need to go through i reject your i reject your hypothesis (laughs) we don't need to go through this situation again uh but yeah i like this movie a lot it's certainly not my favorite qt movie but uh it's very good and it is just a a mashup of a bunch of different genres and stuff and it's kind of just like qt unfiltered i think just the most freedom i feel like he's ever had with a movie because it is so so crazy uh just adds a lot of elements and kind of smashes them all together uh but yeah it's great um i just uh i think my biggest problem with it is uh, the chapters or the way that it's edited it's just not my favorite of his but yeah it's a hard yes thanks for the uh the the movie suggestion bong wolf <laughs> he's just trying too hard with the i i don't know it just feels like it's not edited the correct way i don't don't know i'm sure that's probably how he wants it but i i could have watched it in sequence i thought it would have been better stevie you're thickest thieves with pap so presumably your life is like ooh too what do you give this movie ooh (laughs) working on my Uh, chuck freebie segues big time tonight guys yeah uh i'll give this movie the hardest of yeses um, Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director of all time. I love all of his movies outside of Death Proof, really. And I love this movie. One thing that stands out to me, besides kind of the over-the-topness and transitions, and I like the out-of-order storytelling, is the soundtrack. I think the soundtrack and score of this movie is absolutely incredible, which I think RZA worked on, right? Yeah, he did the, he did the, the score for it. I did. Yeah, RZA did... Yeah, Riza did the score. So you stop it. Hardest of yeses. Um, I think leaving this as volume one, volume two is perfect. I don't see the need for a part three. And uh, also thank you, um, B Wolf, for uh, being a patron and picking this awesome movie. So thank you. Can we do trivia now, Brett? I guess. Just say something so I can say indelible one last time on the pod. Yeah, it, I can. You can do trivia. Indelible is just one of those words that makes you feel so cool when you say it. I don't think he was saying it in a knocking manner. In a knocking manner, Brett. You can't say indelible and then say that 
some people like me and some people don't. That's not that's not a compliment. Sometimes you get a stain on your shirt in the perfect spot, and it's like, yes, I wanted something new there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indelibly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hit up trivia. Uh, we're going to go in that same random order we've been going in. The stakes are that you get to toss it to Spoiler Man and you get the last word. So I do this. I hope no one looked it up because I do this same trivia from time to time. But I want to know what the death count is in Kill Bill Volume 1. Uh, hold on a second, Pappy. Let me get my notes so I can type yeah. what you guess. You just tell me when you're ready. So it'll be Pi- it'll be Pappy, Kylo, Brett, Mikey, Stevie. Okay. One hundred and nineteen. Okay. Kylo. Mm, Ninety-five. No wait. Can I change? Sure. A hundred. Damn. Strategic change there. Yeah. yeah. On screen. On screen. It uh just how many deaths it contains. Alright, okay. Thank you. You're up. Oh you're sorry. Uh um ninety-two. An indelible answer. <laughs> Is that the correct use? I thought I said I thought I said we had said it for the last time. <laughs> uh, who's guessing? Is it me or Stevie? It's you, Mikey. Um, I'll say. I'll say. One hundred five. Tight in the low one hundreds here, Stevie. Who's the highest? Pappy with one nineteen. Who's the lowest? Me. Brills with 92. <laughs> Rizzy Ray. Hey now. All right. Uh, let's try 69. 69. The place that I pulled this stat from says this is like as deep as it gets. Quote, most of the deaths are from when Beatrix kiddo slash the bride arrives in Tokyo and goes after a Ren because that's like two thirds of the movie so that's kind of a cheap way to go but anyway the answer is 62 deaths lower than what everyone said I'm surprised no one guessed 88 but that's just me Um, Stevie the last word is yours well I think we all had lower guesses because you assume that 88 well, not all the 88 died, though. Yeah. Right, and that's why there. I guess they were all wiping away. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so as your winner, let's see here. I get the last word, right? Yeah, what's your hot take? That's what he said. Ooh, my hot take is, I said this in a Cruella pod. I just want to say thanks to uh, Pappy, Josh, and Kylo for doing all the editing for this pod. Uh, you guys do an amazing job on every episode. That is it. Thank you for listening. And take it away, spoilers man. Spoiler man here. Special thank you to our patrons, Matt Troll. Dying in our sleep is a luxury that our kind is rarely afforded. Brother Brian. 
Hello, Bill. Matthias. What's her condition? Comatose. Where is she? I'm standing over her right now. Meg. We owe her better than that. Oh, you don't owe her shit! Will you keep your voice down? Druid King. Y'all beat the hell out of that woman, but you didn't kill her. And I put a bullet in her head, but her heart just kept on beating. Nick. Now you saw that yourself with your own beautiful blue eye. David. But one thing we won't do is sneak into her room in the night like a filthy rat and kill her in her sleep. Stacy. And the reason we won't do that thing is because that thing would lower us. Don't you agree, Miss Driver? I guess. Do you really have to guess? Hey, yo. I want to dedicate this song right here to Orin Ishii. Half Chinese, half Japanese, half American. And yo, oh, what a species of feminine perfection. She got the sinister cat eyes and little freckles on the complexion. If you'd like to request an episode, hear your name read by Spoiler Man, or even just help us make podcasts, please check us out on patreon.com slash spoilers podcast. Never let it off. You got a minute to pray in a second to die. You can see the I'm gonna leave some indelible blood stains if you keep talking like that. That was spoilers.